Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. Oh, that was an awesome time of praise. And really, I think, was uh, an introduction to the topic today that I entitled, The Death of the Man of God. There it is. And it's uh, primarily from 1 Kings 13, where we're introduced to someone who uh, we don't know a lot about. In fact, it starts like this. It says, Vehine ish Elohim. Or in English, Behold, man of God. It says, Now behold, there came a man of God from Judah, from Yehuda, to Bethel, to Bethel, to the house of God, Bidvar uh, Adonai, in the word of the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. So if we step back, the context here is that the kingdom has been divided between the tribes that are in the north and Yehuda, Judah, in the south. And Jeroboam, he's become king, and he decides that if the people that are part of his kingdom, if they go to, to Judah, if they go to Yehuda, and worship God in Jerusalem, their heart will uh, be turned to the, the king of Judah, and they'll kill him, they'll kill Jeroboam, and he'll lose his, his grip on power. And so he decides to uh, essentially institute his own version of their religion. Um, he puts up an altar in, in a couple places, one is here in Bethel, and he, he, uh, he puts up some idols, and he invents some, some different ideas of you know, how people should worship this, this false god and this false uh, worship that he establishes. And so he's there. And so within this context, this man that we don't know a whole lot about, except that he's called Ish Elohim, right here from the start, this man of God, he comes from, Ju- uh, from Judah. And while Jeroboam the king is standing right there by the altar, ready to burn incense, uh, the man of God cries against the altar. This is verse 2. In a sense, again, by the word of the Lord, Pidvar Adonai, and said, Altar, altar, thus says Adonai, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. And on you, on the altar, he shall sacrifice the Kohanim, the priests of the high places, who burn incense on you. And human bones, literally the bones of Adam, Adam, shall be burned on you. Then he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which Adonai has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be split apart, and the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. Now, when the king heard the saying of Ishai Elohim, the man of God, which he cried against the altar in Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. But his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. In verse 5, the altar also was split apart, and the ashes were poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. The king said to the man of God, please entreat the Lord. 
Literally, soften the face of the Lord, your God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated Adonai, and the king's hand was restored to him, and it became as it was before. And so before we continue this, the, the, the narrative in the text, I wanted to stop and just consider a little bit uh, the man of God. We don't know a lot about him. He shows up, literally just, Hinei ish Elohim. Behold, a man of God. Um, we do know that he came from Yehuda, because it says that. He came from Judah. And he says that he came specifically by the word of the Lord. So this is a man who, from the way I understand it, is a man of faith. He's a man who's heard God's word, and he's believed it, and now he's going to pronounce it. He's going to proclaim it. Uh, before the, the king of the northern kingdom. Uh, this reminds me of what uh, Shaul said, Paul, in Romans ten seventeen. He said, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Messiah. So this man, that we don't know his name, and we don't know his family lineage, we don't really know anything about him, in a way he represents all of us. He re- represents all the children of God, all the people of God. He's, he's kind of the, the prototypical or the generic Ish Elohim, the man of God, or the woman of God, the child of God. He could be any of us. And he hears the word of God, and the word of God is, is actually a, a difficult word. It's not an easy word. Uh, the Lord tells him a few different things, and one of the things that the Lord tells him is to go from the south, from Yehuda, this other kingdom uh, in Israel, and go up to the north in front of the king in his new, uh, you know, his new altar, his new religion, and condemn the altar, and condemn the whole religious system, and condemn essentially the king uh, to his face. Uh, And then this man of God hears this word of the Lord, and he goes and does it. He actually puts this into practice, which I think is interesting. Uh, He actually demonstrates his faith by his works. Right? It says this, that he cried against the altar by the word of the Lord. So he he exercises his faith. Um, This reminds me of what Shaul said in Romans 1.5 where he says, We received grace, or favor, to call all to the obedience that comes from faith. Right? Not just hearing God's word, but actually putting it into action. Obeying it. And also, Yaakov, uh, James, in 2.17, he says, Faith, if it has no works, is dead. Whereas this man of God, we see his faith is living, and it's for real. And he's not even afraid of his own uh, danger, which I'm sure was, was great, when he, goes against the, uh, when he goes against the king, when he stands up against the king uh, of the northern tribes. So let's continue and see where this goes. In verse 7, Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward, a matat, a gift. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half of your house, I would not go with you. Nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. So he's in Bethel. He's in the house of God, Bethel, a very biblically important place. Uh, There's this false worship going on, uh, supposedly of the true God, but it's been corrupted. And he's, he's, uh, you know, taking on the political and the religious establishment of his of, of this of this area, and. 
the king, after this miracle happens, and the king experiences this miracle of his hand, he, he, you know, he stretches out his hand, uh, not to do something nice to the, the man of God, obviously, to, to, uh, with ill intent, and God causes his hand to shrivel up, and he loses his power over this man, and then he asks the man of God, you know, please, uh, you know, interpose, go between me and God, and, and uh, intercede for me, and the man of God does it, and God grants uh, the king to have his hand restored, and the king's reaction is interesting, because instead of showing uh, repentance, instead of him saying, wow, this whole thing I'm doing here is wrong, I need to follow your God, I need to follow God in the correct way, he tries to essentially buy off the man of God, right? He says, look, you probably don't understand what I've got going here. You probably don't understand you know, the level that I live on. You're living down here and I live up here. And if you could just come into my world a little bit and you could just taste a little bit of, of what I've got going here, you know, that kind of weird thing that you're into there, that won't compare to what I've got here. So you need to come and you need to have a taste of this. Refresh yourself. I'll give you this reward. I'll give you this gift. I'll give you something of value. I'll essentially buy you off because once you see what I've got, what I'm holding on to, I think you'll agree this is worth holding on to. And the man of God, he doesn't take part of this at all. He doesn't consider the offer. He's not tempted by this. He just immediately says, if you were to give me half of your house, meaning I don't care what the gift is, I don't care what you're trying to buy me off with, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. And you think, wow, that's, that's a very strong response, right? What, what is it that he perceived about this offer that was so dangerous? I mean, the guy's still a king, right? And the king's saying, hey, I want to you know, show you some favor. Shouldn't you be a, you know, in a position to accept a little bit of that? But this is what he says in verse 9. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, that same Bidbar uh, Adonai, saying, you, that is the man of God, shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. So the Lord had literally told him three things. He had commanded the man of God, Elohim, to do three things. Or I should say, not to do three things. One, you shall eat no bread in the place that, that you're prophesying. You shall drink no water in this place. Nor shall you return by the way which you came. And then in verse 10 it says, So he, the man of God, went another way and did not return by the way which he came to Bethel. And I think that's already interesting, what's, what God's commandment is here. Uh, because the, the world system, which is defined in, in 1 John as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, uh, it's one of the first schemes that the enemy uses to see if he can get us off of the truth, to see if he can get us to distort and to disobey God, the word of the Lord. And so th- this offer of, hey, come partake, you know, of, of what I've got going here was not an offer of the king saying, hey, I'm repentant. I, I, what I did was wrong. I want to learn about God. I'm trying to come into your, uh, you know, your truth. No, he's saying, come and visit my reality. Come fellowship in my reality. Eat at my table. And I'm going to give you, uh, you know, a little bit of what I've got going. And then you're going to get what life's all about. And the man of God wisely realizes that this is not right. In fact, he realizes that not only should he not eat there, 
and drink there. He shouldn't fellowship at that table. He shouldn't, uh, you know, draw his, his energy and, and his sustenance from this, from this worldly fellowship. But he realizes that, that the path that brought him there, he shouldn't even walk that path again. The, the very path that got him to that place is a path he should avoid from, that, from here on out. And so he's, he does that. He, he goes another way, and he does not return by the way which he came to Bethel. And so he, he, Bethel, he shows uh, that he, he's not going to compromise with the, wor- the world, which that makes sense. He's a man of God, right? Uh, this is what we would expect. And, and for example, uh, in, in Yaakov, in James 4.4, 4, he says this, Therefore, whosoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So the lines are actually, they're drawn in a way that's very specific. And if we desire to partake into fellowship of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that is what defines this world, defines this world system, then we're automatically at enmity with God. We're automatically uh, not just misaligned, but we're anti-God. We're against his purposes. So there's no middle ground here. There's no neutral ground between if I'm going to be a man of God, I'm going to be a friend of God, I'm going to do what he loves, I'm going to seek what he loves according to his word, or if I'm going to you know, partake in fellowship with this world and be part of this world system. And in fact, we see Yeshua saying something uh, very similar to his uh, disciples. They're trying to figure out you know, what, he's, what he's eating, what he's sustaining himself with. And he says this, this is Yochanan, this is John 4, 34. Yeshua said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what sustains me. That's my fellowship. That's, that's what gives me life. That's what uh, gives me strength. That's what it's all about to me. That's my food. That's what I eat. And so he, said, he also tells us not, that we don't live on bread alone, right? We live by every word that proceeds from the, the mouth of God. And so that's his food, is to do God's will, to do what God wants, which is what he expresses in his word. And, and the man of God started out with exactly that intent, right? His intent is God's telling me to go there and to, to proclaim this news, this message, this report to the, the king in the, of the north. And so he's going to go do that in, Beth, in Bethel, and he's going to risk his life. He very well might not come back alive. But, the God, but God did say, don't eat there, don't drink, and don't come back by the way you came. And he has every intent and every desire to, to obey that word. And so he goes in there, he proclaims this word, and God shows up really powerfully. And, it, and, it's, and it's quite awesome. Uh, you know, the altar splits, the ashes fall, uh, the king's arm shrivels up, the king's arm's restored. You know, the king went from wanting to kill him to wanting to buy him off, and now he's, he's good to go, right? The man of God, has, he, he's fought the good fight, he's done, he's completed the mission, mission accomplished, and he's, he's heading on out by a different way, according to what, what God said. And then the, the, the narrative shifts, which is often the way it is in life. And the focus of the narrative shifts. So where it started out in this very generic way, saying, uh, Behold, man of God. Now it says that there's an old prophet. And it's interesting because it's specific. It calls him Echad. It's one old prophet. And he was living, of all places, 
in Bethel, in Bethel, the house of God. And his sons, this old prophet, came and told him all the deeds which the man of God, Ishai Elohim, had done that day in Bethel. Pretty, I, I would be telling my father too, right? Wow, <laughs> look at what we just saw. And I'm sure his sons are a little bit like, why didn't, why, why weren't you part of this, right? <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Um, and so, the words which he had spoken to the king, these also they related to their father. So they told him everything that the man of God had, had spoken to the king and all the things that had happened. And their father said to them, which way did he go? Now his sons had seen the way which the man of God, who came from Judah, had gone. Then he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he rode away on it. So he went up after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, Ani, he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. He said, I cannot return with you, nor go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. Why is he saying that? Oh, because he told us earlier that God had commanded him three things, <laughs> very, three very specific things. And so now he's, he's got the second person who's come to him uh, in, in you know, the same day, I think, and offered him the exact same offer. Come and eat, come and drink, and come refresh yourself. But this guy is totally different than the king, right? I mean, the king, he was you know, this politically powerful guy who's got this you know, obviously fake religion going on. And we know he's bad, right? We know he represents something we don't want to be part of. But this man, this old man is different. He's a prophet. He's a prophet. And so he says, the, the man of God says, for a command came to me by the word of the Lord, again, you shall eat no bread nor drink water there. Do not return by going the way which you came, which is exactly what he's trying to do. He said to him, verse 18, I also am a prophet like you. And a malach, an angel or a messenger, spoke to me, by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. And then it's very interesting in the Hebrew, the, next, uh, the end of this verse says, he lied to him, but literally it says he grew lean to him. He took away some of his nourishment. He deceived him. He failed him. He disappointed him. And it's a, it's a fascinating thing there because the whole point of this text is talking about eating and drinking, right? How God said, don't eat, don't drink in this place, don't have fellowship, don't sit at this table, don't be part of this. And now this guy is, is growing lean to him in the Hebrew, He's deceiving him. He's, he's taking away a little bit of what the, the, the value, the nutritional value of God's word to this man of God and saying, you know what? Okay, you resisted coming with me even though I showed up here in person as an important prophet and asked you to, but now I'm going to go the next, the next level. An angel told me. <laughs> you know, Someone came from God and said to me, take this guy to your house. And then the man of God uh, in verse 19, so he went back with him 
and ate bread in his house and drank water. So at that point, it seems like it was enough. The man of God goes, oh, okay, something's going on here. And I guess, I'm, I guess it's okay, right? I, I can go with this guy because he said that an angel of Adonai went and said to do this. Verse 20, now it came about as they were sitting down at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And the, the Hebrew is actually weird there in verse 20. If you read it in Hebrew, you're going to see this pe or fe just sitting there in the middle of the text. No real reason why it's there. Some, some commentators say it's a pause. It's just right there in the middle. They're sitting at the table, then pe, you know, and then that, you know, that came. So it's like vaya he, so it came about, and then it goes vaya he again. Uh, the word of the Lord came back, you know, it came about the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And I don't know for sure, I'll, I'll leave it up to the experts, but I, I wonder if that represents the pe, the, the, the mouth of the Lord, right? This whole text is talking about the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, you know, over and over and over again. And it's like there's this break from, from God's word, and all of a sudden God's word comes back. And now the prophet who brought him back, he cries out to the man of God, this is verse 21, who came from Judah saying, thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the command of Adonai and have not observed the commandment which Adonai your God commanded you, but have returned and eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, eat no bread and drink no water, your body shall not come to the grave of your fathers. In other words, you're not going to run this race to completion. You're not going to make it to the, the, to the end of your course. Verse 23, and it came about after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he, the, the prophet, saddled the donkey for him, the man of God, for the prophet whom he had brought back. Now when he had gone, the man of God that is, a lion met him on the way and killed him. And his body was thrown on the road with the donkey standing beside it. The lion also was standing beside the body. And so God does this, or, you know, or allows this, this thing to happen where he gets killed by a lion, the man of God, and his body's thrown on the, the road. The, the lion doesn't devour his body, and the, the lion doesn't devour the donkey, and yet they just sit there, and it's kind of a sign for everyone that's walking by. And the, the old prophet ends up hearing about it. He comes, he gets the body, uh, he, he mourns the, the man of God, he tells his sons, bury me with him. Bury my bones with him when I die because he really was a man of God and his prophecy is true about the altar and about uh, you know, the coming king, uh, Josiah. And, and so we, we get this, this kind of really weird, uh, you know, this really weird, uh, it's kind of a complex narrative. It's not two-dimensional, the description of this, this old prophet. He, he doesn't just go and deceive the, the man of God and then walk out you know, and reveal himself to be a bad guy. There's almost a sympathetic treatment to him in the text, which is the way things are in real life, because this is real life. And it's the way it applies to us, too. It, a lot of times we want to see good and evil in a very two-dimensional way. This person's telling me to do this. That's evil. This person's telling me to do that. That's good. And a lot of times we need a lot more discernment than that. A lot of times very good people with very good intentions can lead us very much astray. 
Sometimes evil people with evil intentions can actually give us really good advice, right? Life is far more complex than that, and we, we have to uh, develop discernment and understand what God's will is and what his word is, and if we're really aligning to his word and not just judged by the appearance of things. And so it's very, very interesting what happens there. So let's consider the old prophet a little bit. Um, a couple of things. It mentions that he's a prophet, right? Navi. And so he's potentially known. I mean, this guy's he's an older prophet. He's been around for a while, I, I guess is the idea. And so he's potentially respected. And if you're the man of God in this case, and you're there resting under this tree, you've just gotten through this whole you know, ordeal with the king that I'm sure was really exhausting because it's you know, probably fairly nerve-wracking to go before a king and you know, say all these things that are, that are not going to please the king and, and hope for the best. <laughs> you know, it's not easy to be a prophet, uh, and it wasn't then either. And so he gets through all that, and he's resting under this tree, and, and this, this older, you know, potentially respected prophet comes up to him and, and shows up in person. I mean, the guy journeys out there himself, right? He doesn't send somebody. He could have sent his kids. He, you know, he had people that he could, have, he could have asked to do this, but he comes in person. He shows up to the guy, and if that's not enough, he claims that, you know, that he's heard from an angel by the word of the Lord, which is the very thing that you, as the man of God, right, are, are trying to walk in. I mean, this guy, like, he's, you know, you might have a copy of his book, you might want him to sign it, right? And he's going up to talk to you. This is quite amazing. And it's not like the, the man of, of God just let his guard down, right? He didn't just say, when, when, the, when the prophet came to him and said, you know, come with me and eat at my house, he didn't just say, okay. No, he actually pushed back and he said, no, that's not right. Like God specifically told me three things. Here's what they are. And then how did the prophet respond? Ah, well, an angel of the Lord actually appeared to be. In other words, I have a higher authority than you do. And he lied to him. And then he condemned the man of God for his disobedience. So they're at the table, and all of a sudden, the very same man of God who convinced him to come speaks the word of God very truthfully and says, look, because you disobeyed, uh, here's a prophecy. You're not going to make it home to be buried with your fathers. You're not going to live the full life that God had planned for you and be fruitful in the ways that, that God had planned for you. It's over right here. And yet he still collects his body and mourns the man of God and, and shows honor to the man of God after the, the, the death, the, the condemnation. And this reminds me, uh, next slide, of the words of Shaul. In fact, I wonder if Shaul didn't have this in mind when he wrote these words. This is in Galatians 1, 6 through 8. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Messiah, for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Messiah. But even if we, those who are in authority, the apostles, or an angel from heaven, a messenger from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Literally anathema, given up to destruction in, in a in the Greek there. So, interesting, because I don't know of any other time in, in the scriptures that, that this kind of thing happened, right? Uh, maybe there are other examples, but this one's a really clear one, of the word of the Lord being distorted, being changed by somebody claiming, hey, an angel told me this. 
And Shaul warns us against that. He says, even if we ourselves come back to you and tell you something different than what we proclaimed before, or even if someone claims that, you know, a higher authority, don't listen. Don't, don't pay any attention to that because the truth that got you here is the truth that will bring you home. Don't abandon it. And in fact, I think that this, not only this, this, uh, text that we're going through in in 1 Kings 13, but I think this time that we live in, a time of uh, difficulty, a time of crises, a lot of people uh, have lost their health, a lot of people have lost loved ones, a lot of people have lost jobs, a lot of people uh, are lonely right now, a lot of people are finding their uh, lives are are disturbed in ways that they've never imagined just a few short weeks or months ago. And I think when we go through these kind of things, This is a really important time for us to get back to the basics, get back to the foundation, get back to the fundamentals, you know, dance with the one who brung you. Who got you here? How did you get here? And this is what Paul said in in Ephesians 2. He said, for by grace, for by God's favor, you have been saved through faith. And that, the faith, is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. Sometimes we try to make things so complex, we try to make things, uh, we, we leave the simplicity of devotion to the point that we become open to things that might even be antithetical or against God's word and what he's told us. And we get lost in the noise, and, and we, there's so much noise, and it's hard to find the signal, and we kind of lose our way. And what typically happens is, if we make it through the temptation to, to just embrace the world, the world system, if we make it through that, we say, hey, I don't want that, the next temptation that's going to come, the next scheme that the evil one uses, is he tries to get us in our, in our zeal for God, he tries to make that the idol. He tries to make that the thing that will actually take us away from obedience to God, away from simply trusting in him, away from simply uh, looking to him as our, as our righteousness, as our salvation, as our everything, right? And so we start to look to ourselves, and we're doing the same thing. We're back in the world system, but we don't think that we are. We're back in the same false worship that the king was in, you know, Jeroboam and Bethel, but we don't think we are. We think now, hey, I'm, I'm at the prophet's house. I'm closer to God than ever. This is the guy who, you know, the angel of the Lord talked to him and said, go talk to you, right? This is it. Like, I'm at the zenith. And instead, that fellowship at that table, uh, you know, represents death. It represents uh, the end of our fruitfulness. It re- represents, you know, a, a cutting off from Messiah, in ways that are so damaging and that we need to be so careful that we don't fall into that. In another place, in Philippians 2, verse 12, we all know this. It's, this is a, a well-known verse. Shaul says this, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's grace through faith. The, the reason that we need to stay focused on that, the reason that we need to have fear and trembling, is because if the enemy can distort that message, if he can get us to rely on ourselves, if he can get us to stop relying and trusting in God's word, 
in any little way, he will. That's the angle he's going to come from. And if the glare of the world doesn't do it, then he'll try to find some you know, supposedly spiritual source that we'll start drinking from and eating from, but that's not actually Messiah. Yeshua said it very simplistically, but very elegantly in, in Matthew 7. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise man who built his house on the rock. Notice there's two things that Yeshua said you must do. Two things. What are they? Hear his word. Do it. Hear. What, what comes by, by hearing? Faith. And doing it. That's grace. That's God's, his favor to both will and to do his good pleasure. It's grace through faith. Hearing his word and believing it. And then letting him actually live that out through us by his power. That's the essence of the gospel. And this man of God was running well. He was doing amazing things. He was right there in the right path. And he was going back by, the, the, you know, by the, the right way. He was doing it right. He was getting closer and closer to what God had for him as a destination. And then all of a sudden, somebody was able to say, wait, you know, this is actually what God wants you to do. This is actually God's will. And it wasn't the, the very thing that God had told him. And instead of abiding in God's word, and being fruitful, instead of staying true to that word, uh, I think uh, Elisa mentioned it earlier, right? To the kids, we, when, when, when those voices come, we need to go back to God's word. We need to go, you know, we need to ask God, Lord, show me what I should do. Am I moving off to the left or to the right? Am I coming off of your path? Am I starting to trust in myself and my own actions? Am I starting to listen to voices that aren't yours, that maybe are just a little bit out of alignment right now? But if you get a little bit out of alignment now, way down the road, you're extremely far off, right? And I think that's why Shoal said in, in uh, 1 Timothy and 3, he says, all scripture, this is God's word, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that is teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that Ishai Elohim, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Again, this man of God, he, he started out in faith. He started out in obedience to God's word. And he didn't even buy the glare of the world. He didn't fall for it. A lot of us fall for that. We don't even get past that test. But he got past that test. And yet, this, this attraction, this, this desire to be accepted by people that we think that we should look up to, that we think maybe are more spiritual than us, that we think might be somehow hearing from God even more than we are, and all of a sudden we're willing to give up the the fellowship we had with God when he said, don't eat there, don't drink there, don't go by that way. Come to my table. Eat and drink at my table. Come this path. Come to to the path that leads to me, my presence. Uh, Ben read this earlier, but I'd like to read it again because I think it's so appropriate in this context. This is from Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of Hasatan, against the accuser, the slanderer, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word, the rhema, the spoken word of God. 
That's how we stand strong. That's how we exercise the strength of his might. This, this man of God, this Ish Elohim, he had the spoken word. He had the rhema. He had the sword. And for a second, he was even using it. He used it against the king. Nope, I'm not going to go. I don't care what you offer. God told me three things. Don't eat, don't drink, and, and don't go back by the way you came. I'm going to do that. And then he gets to the old, the old prophet, and he, and he cites the same three things. This is what God told me. I'm going to stand on it. But then he was convinced, he was persuaded to let down that sword, to put it down, to no longer exercise it. And it led to his destruction. The inverse, or the, the reverse of that, the other side, is that we can overcome and we can have victory if we hold on to God's word. If we hold on to both the, the logos, the written word of God, who Yeshua is the logos, and the, the rhema, the spoken word of God, what he's moving on our heart by his spirit, it says this in Revelations twelve eleven, And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word, the logos, of their testimony, their marturia, their, their witness. And they did not love their life, which is the word that we know like psych in, in uh, like psychology in English, uh, the soul, the breath. They, they did not love their life even when faced with death. So there's a path to victory, and the path to victory requires a few different things. It requires, one, the blood of the lamb. We just had Pesach, so hopefully now we're very, very uh, focused on that being our, our path to, to victory. If our path to victory is anything that we do or anything that we have to sustain in our own strength, if our path to victory is trusting in ourselves or in our own power or in people who are around us, it is going to absolutely fail and we will not be victorious. Even if that person is a well-respected you know, prophet uh, from the house of God. But if our victory, if we seek our victory through the blood of the Lamb, we're already there. We're already in a place of victory. Because Yeshua said, he said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. How do we overcome the world? Because he's in us and we're in him. That's our victory. But there's more than that. It's not just, okay, Yeshua died, and so therefore I'm fine, right? And I don't have to worry about anything, right? Didn't we say that salvation comes from what? Grace through faith, right? And so he says, they overcame him because of the blood of the, the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. The logos, the word. Yeshua is the logos made flesh. He's the word of God made flesh. So not only did they have the blood of Yeshua, but they had a relationship with Yeshua. His word was abiding in them and they were abiding in his word. And what did Yeshua say if we abide in his word would happen? He said two things would happen. He said we would know the truth and the truth would make us free. Right? And so that's what's happening here. That because of the blood of the lamb, that's knowing the truth. And because of the word of their testimony, that's the truth making them free. And they're able to witness. They're able to proclaim against the schemes of the evil one. He's trying to kill them. And you know what? They're fine with that. They're, they're, they're overcoming here is not an overcoming that they avoid this death. So in the sense that the man of God died, in our text, 
you know, at some point he was going to die anyway. <laughs> the, the, the point wasn't that he died. It wasn't, we're not in the, the business of death avoidance. We want to live in Yeshua and we want to die to the world in Yeshua. We want to be dead to all of this that's passing away and alive to him who's forever. It's not a choice between do you die or do you not die because everyone's going to die. The question is, after you die, are you going to live? Is there going to be resurrection? And that only happens in Yeshua. That's the key to the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their life even when faced with death. And Yeshua said, if you love your life in this world, you will lose it. But if you forsake your, your life in this world, you will find it eternally. And that is our victory. Our victory is when we trust that word and we, we hold on to it. And we need to be wise to the schemes of the evil one. His scheme is not just the world. And I think sometimes we make the, the mistake as believers, as people who see ourselves as, as a Isha Elohim, or at least aspire to be that. Sometimes we see, we, we look and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm not into this world system. It doesn't tempt me any more the way it did, so I'm fine. I'm in a good place with God, right? I'm, I'm full of life. And we need to watch out because that's not the only scheme our enemy has. He's got another one too. And it's within the, you know, the, the faith. It's within the word of God. And we think that we're actually obeying God. In fact, if you disagree with that or you, or you wonder where I'm coming up with that, Yeshua himself, when he's tempted by the devil, he's tempted by you know, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, the boastful pride of life. But how does, how does the enemy do it? He actually starts citing scriptures, right? He starts using the fact, he knows that the Son of God is going to do God's word. He's not going to, he is the word made flesh. He's not going to go against it. So now his, his plan is, okay, you're not going to just out, go out against it, but I'll just start to distort it a little bit. I'll see if I can use it against you. I'll see if I can use what you think is God's word, what you think is the right thing to do, thinking, hey, I'm, I'm actually doing God's will. But it's just a little different than I originally started out, right? I originally started out like this, and then now I'm kind of going like that, but, but I'm still doing God's will. Except it's not. It's a distortion. Which is why Shaul said, you know, even if we or an angel from heaven should come and, and preach a different gospel, if it's not grace through faith, if it's something slightly different, or maybe very different, we have to reject it. And we have to hold on to our source of life. They overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. And that's the secret of victory. That's the secret of overcoming the schemes of the evil one.